You merci. Her Majesty the Queen versus Daniel James Gombach, Ronald C. Reimer and Suzanne Boucher for the appellant, Christine Thiers for the intervener, Ontario General of Ontario, Brigitte Boussière and Gilles Laporte for l'intervenant, Procureur General du Québec, Charles R. Stewart QC and David Andrew for the respondent, David S. Rose and John J. Navarrete for the intervener, Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Mr. Reimer. morning. <laughs> the um, respondent and the um, intervener of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association um, would have you think that this case is about the broad question of how much privacy Canadians should reasonably expect in data that um, they incidentally uh, divulge in their commercial relationships or perhaps to access a modern necessity like electricity. But it's my submission that that broader issue really doesn't arise in the circumstances of this case. And I say that because the idea that underlies um, that proposition or that debate um, was one which this court recognized a long time ago and which in its most recent what is a search case of Patrick, the garbage search case, uh, was uh, front and center. Uh, and <laughs> it's the idea that um, uh, information should remain confidential to the persons uh, to whom it was intended to be divulged and for the purposes for which it was divulged. Now, <laughs> in my respectful submission, um, that's not this case because this respondent did not divulge anything. Um, rather, his situation is one of a failed attempt um, to expand his privacy through crime by meter cheating. And it's my submission that the big issue in this case is really whether Section 8 is engaged at all um, when the police enlist a crime victim uh, to gather evidence of a crime from either the person or the property of that crime victim. <laughs> And in my submission, what, to apply uh, what, uh, what you are telling is that, in fact, Mr. Gombach was uh, stealing electricity. Pardon me, sir, I didn't hear the yes. first part of your uh, what, you're, uh, what you're telling us was that, in fact, Mr. Gombach was uh, stealing electricity from the, uh, from, the, uh, from the utility. Yes. And did, uh, that, it was, uh, that his attempt at securing his privacy rights was... Uh, in a way to hide this crime? Yes. He, he did it for that purpose. He may have done it for other purposes. He may have done it because he wanted to increase the profitability of his other crime. Um, but I think that one, of the, one of the problems is that he didn't know he was... The, the utility didn't know it was a victim of the crime that you refer to until the police intervened. It was a police-led initiative, not a victim-led initiative. It was a police-led initiative, except for this proposition. I would, I would beg to differ with the proposition that the utility did, knew, knew, had no reason to suspect a crime. 
They had no reason to suspect a crime from this specific customer until the police came and alerted them to it. But the facts of the case are that, you know, hundreds of times this relationship has taken place between the police and the utility company. Um, they've, they've put these DRAs on at the request of the police, not at their instructions. They're not, the police have no power to ask them to do anything. <laughs> they've simply requested their assistance. Do they and, ever say no? Pardon me? Do they ever say no? You, you, you make it seem like there's, there's, a, uh, there's no intrusive element here. What, what sense would there be on the part of the utility company that when a request comes from the police, they're entitled to, say, to disregard it? They, uh, companies uh, these days uh, frequently request, uh, frequently deny police requests for information, for assistance, uh, and require them to have warrants because they have concluded that they're not lawfully entitled to, to provide the type of assistance the police are asking for. That actually happens a fair bit. I can't, there's no evidence in this case about this utility company having refused such a request from the police, but I think the reason for that is because they have learned over time, you know, they're obviously alive to the fact that Marijuana growing is almost invariably associated with meter cheating because the, the criminal element educated themselves after this court's decision in plant that their power bills <coughs> could, dis could betray them. So they started cheating the meter in order to avoid giving the police grounds in that manner. But that's not this case. We're not talking about a situation in, in like plant where you have existing information. We're talking about the police requesting, enlisting yes. the utility company. Well, Does that make it different? <clears throat> it, it, it makes a difference from the standpoint that there's an argument that they have become the agents of the police and are doing the police's work for them. But what I'm suggesting is, is that we, we have no evidence in this case that they're essentially, you know, a paid army of the police or anything like that, that they're even making money doing this for the police. <laughs> the, 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 the evidence in my submission supports the inference that they're looking out for their own interests because the, they know that marijuana growing is anathema to their interests. There's powers being stolen when marijuana is being grown and <laughs> they, um, uh, these are often dangerous electrical bypasses. Loads are being put on their equipment that is dangerous. One of the materials that we have in our condensed book uh, talks, about, talks about studies in British Columbia with respect to the fire hazards and other dangers, even including dangers of electrocution to people who are as much as 10 meters away from, from, uh, from uh, rods uh, outside premises because of these bypasses. So they obviously have a keen interest <laughs> in addressing these types of situations. And DRA is not a police device. This is a power company device that they've employed to detect bypasses to measure how much power is being stolen or measure the extent of the, of the theft or, or, or overuse of electricity that's going on. And the, the police, you know, have simply requested them to take this step. It, it's no different in principle, in my respectful submission, from what happens in many, many criminal investigations where the police alert somebody to the fact that they may have been victimized by a crime. I mean, the police... <laughs> get wind of the fact that somebody's going around to a bunch of banks and defrauding them, obtaining credit by 
you know, using a particular sort of subset of collateral documents. <laughs> and so they go to one bank and they say, you know, we've identified that banks are being defrauded in this manner. We know you've got powerful computers, so you might want to put this combination of collateral documents, because there's a pattern developing here, through your powerful computer, and figure out if one of your customers isn't cheating you in that fashion. Well, the banking relationship is one in which there's a, a long-standing fiduciary obligation of confidentiality. Yet, I think it's very clear that the bank would be free <laughs> to turn that information over to the police to uh, assist a, a criminal investigation, would be free to sue based on that information, <laughs> to, to, to find an expectation of privacy in those circumstances <laughs> is, in my uh, submission, very problematic in terms of the investigation of crime. Would this you agree, just on that point, is that if you drop the, energy, the utility out of the picture, supposing the police had the uh, technical capacity to install the ammeter on their own, that that then would clearly be a Section 8 case? No, because I think that we have to then look through the factors. But what I'm saying, and I think that if we look at the quality of information, those kinds of issues, that it comes out as not a search through that approach. But what I'm suggesting to the Court is that this first point is really dispositive of the appeal, that we really shouldn't subject this to the, to the multi-factored approach. I mean, my submission will be, and I've made that submission in my factors, in my factum, that, you know, something like six of seven factors are strongly in the Crown's favor here. <laughs> and so it's not a search. Um, Mr. Romer, was there any evidence that um, either the police or the power company were aware of the bypass before the amateur was placed? The evidence was, no, that they weren't specifically aware that there was a bypass at this house. But what the police were aware of was reasonable suspicion that marijuana was being grown at these premises and experience, which they, they had keep, keep taken uh, made track of or kept track of over a period of time that in 90% of marijuana grow cases there was an electrical bypass employed. And the power company was working with them, you know, regularly in terms of installing DRA. They're there when these grows get taken down to fix up the electrical problems. Is there, <laughs> is there evidence uh, in this case that the police alerted the power company to the fact that they might be victims of a fraud? The the, the, there's no evidence that there was that specific type of a dialogue. But, I mean, I think we can infer <laughs> that it took place in this fashion, that there's two parties who've worked together with, with, with respect to addressing a problem in the past. When the police come to them with a DRA request, they understand the fact that the police are doing so because this is in the context of an investigation of a marijuana grow operation. And therefore, and that the police have good reason for making that request because they have this long-standing relationship. They've done this hundreds of times, so it's 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 kind of unnecessary. It's in the record. <laughs> it's certainly in the record yeah. that they have done this hundreds of times with with NMAX. Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. Yes. So the the answer to my question is uh, that there's nothing in the record to to the effect that the police. <laughs> when they approached the power company, advised the power company that they might be the victims of a fraud. No, that's correct. They did not have that specific conversation, but in my submission, based on their prior relationship and common sense, 
It was unnecessary to say that because the, the, they knew why the police were coming and they knew why they were interested in my submission in helping the police because it was in their interest to do so. And there's no evidence that would, that would otherwise explain why they would undertake the expense and trouble of doing this um, other than perhaps just being good corporate citizens. But, but the, so there's no evidence to that question. And there's certainly nothing to suggest that the police have essentially hired them and that they're making a profit with this little sideline of doing investigative work for the police. There's nothing of that kind. <laughs> profit issue, but I wonder whether you suggest that um, if absent the possibility from the viewpoint of the power company that they were victims of a fraud, absent that possibility they would not have cooperated with the police investigation? Surely that's not your submission. In, in my submission, I don't think there's a, there's a basis for concluding that the power company would be installing DRAs and turning those graphs over to the police in situations where they didn't have an interest of their own to be concerned about there. There's, in fact, I would disagree because the, 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 the interesting thing is that, that this is in the evidence. Morrison, the expert with respect to doing this, who had done this 800 times, he testified that there were also cases where the power company was coming to them with DRA results that they had, they had found on their own because of their own you know, suspicions about a house, perhaps because of an inspection and so on, but, you know, or, or meter reading or something like that. So they, they brought DRAs to the police and said, you know, this is a, this is a situation where, you know, meter cheating is going on and, and we'd like you to investigate this. So <laughs> it's, in my submission, that the important point here is, is that they're running a test on their own property. This is happening on, there's no trespass. My friends conceded that now. We spent a lot of effort in courts below addressing this issue of whether or not there was a trespass, which proceeded on the basis that the Crown hadn't proved there wasn't. But I think we sorted that out now with my friend's concession that there was no trespass. The fact is that this took place on NMAX's equipment, on a, on a, a box that services many houses, on their lines, and, and what they're measuring is how much power is being drawn from our lines at the point where we know it must be directed to this house. And I think that's critical here. So the, this, uh, this ammeter is installed on the, on the power line between, uh, between the transformer or power box and the point of entry into the house? But not, but not involving any either even invasion of airspace or invasion of subterranean space. Nothing like that. Because these boxes, one services many houses. Yes, I know. <clears throat> and the police have, have and, and, and this to some extent answers the question about would they not do this. In circumstances where the, the, the box happened to be sitting on somebody's property so that there might have to be this invasion of airspace or subterranean space in order to access the box and put the DRA on. The relationship between the police and the and NMAX was on the basis that we won't help you there without you getting a warrant to do it first. I wasn't as clear on the evidence to me as I understand you now to say that the DRA, your, your understanding of the case is that the DRA was not placed on the property of the respondent? Is that what you're saying? My friend has conceded that there has well, been no Well, now I'm asking you no what the record shows. The record shows essentially this, that 
the, 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 the police don't, don't go out and do this. And there wasn't anyone from NMAX who testified at trial. So the police officers are testifying at, in a charter hearing based on what they were essentially told and, and about the nature of their relationship with NMAX. The evidence was one box services many houses. These boxes are generally located at the very edge of a property, either underground or in an above-ground box. The, the device is installed on that box. It is, it is possible, there's you know, a one in some probability, that it could be on a person's house, <laughs> or in a person's yard. But the relationship with NMAX is such that when that situation arises, the technicians who, who go out and do this tell the police, you'll need to get a warrant because, because there's a trespass involved. What about so the expect oh, I'm sorry, if you're not finished. What about the, I mean, I, I think there, is, there are two issues. One is the physical location, but the yes. other is the information that is gleaned. Yes. Um, can you relate that to the expectation of privacy issue that's before us? Well, <laughs> here's how I would put it. The, <laughs> the point is this, and I, I do discuss this in some terms, in terms of my uh, multi-factored analysis, that, that I put it this way. When we go to the first question, does he have a direct interest? He's got no direct interest in what NMAX does with their own property. He's got a direct interest in information about what happens in his house, and that's the basis on which he's claiming uh, that this was a search. But my, my point is, is that <laughs> his situation here, because he's stealing the power, is, is no better really than, the, than this factual situation in terms of somebody's interest in relation to technology being applied to a crime victim. So I use this example to, to I think, illustrate my point. Um, imagine a situation where the police are investigating a suspected, uh, an individual suspected of, of using rohypnol to sexually assault a number of women. And so they are unable to get a warrant because of the state of their investigation. So they decide to set up surveillance <laughs> because they believe a certain pattern is occurring in which it involves this person bringing these women home to his his house after they've been drugged. And so they watch and they see him arrive with a woman and they stay there and a woman departs from the house in the wee hours of the morning um, and they approach the woman and she's disoriented, doesn't really know what's happened over the last several hours. Um, <laughs> they ask her, will you subject yourself to some medical testing to determine whether you know you've been engaged in sexual activity with this person, and to uh, determine whether there's any drug in your system, so she agrees to do that. She provides that information. Well, in my submission, the claim that Mr. <laughs> Gombach is making here is akin to the suspect in my example <laughs> making the claim that because that information is includes some very private data of his, like DNA and stuff that would tell you what went on in his home. Um, he can claim an expectation of privacy with respect to that. I mean, this is the power company's property. They're being victimized by theft. And they have measured on their own equipment the magnitude of that theft. That's essentially all that's taken place here. Could you show us where perhaps it would be helpful? I, um, this, I find this argument interesting, but I don't know that I've ever seen it. Is it referred to in any of the judgments, either in the voir dire or in the... Court of Appeals decision, this argument about how the 
company is just protecting its own financial interests? You mean in the courts below? Yes. The, the, um, or in any of our jurisprudence? I think, I think that your jurisprudence has never really addressed this issue head on. I think that's probably fair. We've never looked at the matter from this perspective. But I, I think it's really just a question of, of how you approach the issue. It wasn't argued in this way precisely at trial. It wasn't argued in this way in the Court of Appeal even below. I didn't do the case in the Court of Appeal. But when this case came to me, it occurred to me that, that you know, the multifactored approach is fine, but we may be we may be missing the most important point here. I mean, it's part of the multifactored analysis, but it's really just a question of, you know, what, what should be dispositive of this case? What's, this, what's the overwhelming factor? Because in so many of these privacy cases, as Justice Binney has observed, um, you know, we go through the factors, but what's, there's often one the, factor that seems to win the day. In, the, in this respect, what's the importance of the code of conduct regulation? The, well, my point with respect to that is, 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 is this. Ontario's made a submission, which is, which is along the same lines as the submission we're making here, but, but developed more, more thoroughly. I agree that when we're talking about information that's held by third parties, that one of the, because this court's jurisprudence has, has said this, that we look at the relationship between the third party and the individual, to, and that informs the expectation of privacy. So we should look at things like contracts, or if there's legislation that governs the relationship between the parties, we should look at those things to inform whether there's an expectation of privacy arising from the relationship. And my point about that is, is that, interestingly enough, in Alberta, there is protection for this kind of information. So when you're sharing your, your customer information with the utility, you can you are entitled to um, confidentiality and, and the legislation goes so far as to say <laughs> that that information cannot be you know, disclosed to anyone except you know, certain narrow exceptions including the police conducting an investigation unless contrary to an express request of the customer. All right. So interestingly enough in Alberta in, in the context of utilities the government of Alberta has actually responded to concerns about privacy and data with this customer information protection that applies specifically to the utility customer relationship. <laughs> but Mr. Gombach has chosen to essentially operate outside of that regime in my submission. Because in my submission it only makes sense when we're talking about protection of customer information to talk about information that the customers are sharing with the company. In other words, <laughs> when you cheat the meter, you're outside of that regime in my respectful submission. It's not information that you're intending to divulge to them for one purpose. It's information that you're trying not to divulge to them in order to cheat them. Sorry, doesn't your argument in a way come down to an argument that if you're committing a crime, you're not entitled to an expectation of privacy? No, I think this is distinct. I've, I fully accept that we have to approach, we have to approach from a neutral perspective. But what, I'm, but what I'm suggesting is, is that you can't gain an expectation of privacy through crime. You, you, may, you, may be, you may have an expectation of privacy, and it may serve to shelter crime among other privacy. I think that's, you know, a dead letter now. I mean, that's a dead issue now. But my point here is, is that this is the unique situation where the meter cheating is an effort to essentially expand privacy that he wouldn't otherwise have. He, he actually could have... 
taken the step, if he was paying for his power, he could have taken the step of sending a letter to NMAX and saying, I don't want any of my customer information turned over to the police. And that, and that step would have, I think, put NMAX in a difficult position when the police came requesting power consumption. Can I ask you this? What's bothering me is that this argument seems to be circular. Let's imagine an innocent person who's using a lot of power. There's an example in the record of this orchid grower. Yes. Um, and uh, that your argument wouldn't work for that person because your basic premise is because the person's breaking the law, i.e. guilty of this offense, uh, therefore, looking at it in retrospect, we can say that he had no expectation of privacy. But it's a circle. Well, and and, and it, it, it relies on the presumed guilt of the person before. So don't we have to put ourselves in the position before we know whether that person's guilty or not and say, at that point, can the, uh, the, the police are, are uh, the power company sharing with the police on the assumption of innocence? At that point, is there an expectation of privacy? Well, but the, the, I think the distinction is critical. Even in the orchard growing situation, <laughs> the police had grounds there in that case to believe that the person was growing marijuana, which was why they went looking for a DRA. It turned out he was growing orchids. All right? They proceeded oh, but, but in that. The point case. is you're arguing not about grounds. You're saying he's guilty. He's a thief. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, and, and therefore, uh, we, he has no expectation of privacy. Guilty people don't have an expectation of privacy. Not, not the guilty people don't have an expectation of privacy, but that they, they cannot gain an expectation of privacy through crime. That's my point with respect, which I think is a different point. The, let me try and illustrate I, I, it this yeah, way. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that as the Chief Justice is telling you that this approach, focusing on the fact that, that the accused uh, uh, is, uh, is perhaps committing a crime is not leading us anywhere when we're uh, considering whether uh, there are privacy interests. And I think it would be, be perhaps a more neutral approach to, have, uh, to, uh, to perhaps have a look at the regulation and, uh, and, and examine whether they have an impact on the privacy expectations of the, uh, of, the, of the accused. What do they mean? What are their consequences in this? With, uh, with, with respect, if I might just make this point. If I'm driving my car and somebody stops me at a red light and says, get out of your car, I'm taking it. And then I signal a police officer and say, that man just took my car. Um, the police officer is entitled to seize that car and stop that man. And there's no search of that suspect. He's got no expectation of privacy with respect to my property. I mean, this is the same point. This is the power company's property. The electricity that's going into the house is all being stolen. They are simply measuring the impact of a crime on their own property. Yeah, but, but the problem with this is you, you deal with a, a bunch of situations in isolation. But the cumulative effect of all people who have a, uh, a line into a household, yes. the electricity people, the cable television people, the various delivery people, the postman, the uh, uh, washer repairman, you know, if the police can uh, co-opt 
uh, all of these individuals who each have a piece of information about what is going on inside the home. Yes. Uh, that has a, a significant impact on, on privacy. So it, it's not... Agreed. But, but I'm suggesting that the police are entitled to, to enlist the assistance of parties when they have reasonable grounds to suspect that they are the victims of crime. And, and that, I submit, is a different but, situation. But, but this, uh, I mean, I, I think everybody understands what your argument is, but uh, the, the, the problem for us is that at the end of the day, we say that there is this very important uh, uh, privacy attaching to the home, and it can uh, disappear through a thousand cuts. You bite uh, from here, and you bite from there, and you bite from the next place. Yes. And at the end of the day, there's not much left. So at, at where do you draw the circle around the household and say, well, that uh, expectation of privacy should be respected? I, I'm, where I draw the circle is here. I'm suggesting that, that in, terms of, in terms of the um, individual who is in the normal commercial relationship with, with these entities, that we have to then look very carefully at all of the factors you know, in, in terms of deciding whether the quality of the information and so on and so forth um, supports an expectation of privacy, the nature of the relationship, all of those things. But, but we when look it's to the cumulative that, effect, the cumulative effect of all these sources of information that would fit in your description. What's left of the householder's privacy? Everybody who has a tie into the house for information, for deliveries, all of these people. But who else besides the power company? Who else besides the power company is in the position of, of essentially being cheated by, by this householder with respect to their own property? Well, I that's think, that's I the think situation we, I'm talking about. We should perhaps uh, leave, uh, leave uh, cheating aside for, uh, for, a, mo uh, for a moment and perhaps uh, examine and uh, discuss what kind of privacy expectations does, has, does an honest client, for, uh, for example, have about uh, about uh, the the data uh, on his uh, uh, consumption of electricity is there an expectation and privacy of privacy what are its uh, limits and in in plant this court said no with respect to the majority of this court said no with respect to the the type of data that was being obtained there which was monthly billing records in <coughs> In this case, in my submission, the type of data that they're getting is not much different. It's, it's data of much the same order and magnitude. It's still very crude data. It doesn't allow us to see in the home. The evidence is very clear about that. Now, well, well, you get information about, uh, I would say, the amount of electricity that's uh, being uh, consumed and about, about the patterns of consumption at different hours. Specifically, what the police spikes or specifically what the police get um, is they get the fact over a five-day period, which is a considerably shorter period than we were dealing with with billing records in plant. The fact that there's a particular level of power being drawn, and that it's cyclical um, or not. And uh, that's essentially what they get. Now they've learned from experience that if that there's a particular cycle that's meaningful to them in terms of its consistency with marijuana grows. Um, but I, it's incorrect, and I think that this is, you know, uh, my friends put a lot on this, 
This is not the case where DRA by itself is enough to get a search warrant. I, 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 I completely take issue with that proposition. Yes, DRA is a strong indicator, and the police have been using it um, to weed out cases for investigation. But the fact of the matter is, is that the only cases in which the police <laughs> have tested whether or not the DRA reading confirms the prediction of crime is in cases where they had a lot of other grounds, right? So it's like the situation where somebody's developing a new medical test which identifies certain, you know, chemical compounds associated with somebody who's going to get lung cancer in the future, but they've only tested that with respect to people who've smoked two packs of cigarettes a day for 20 years. The difficulty I mean, with that submission, I think... Pardon me? I say, I think the difficulty with that submission in this case is that it, you conceded, your, the Crown conceded, that without the um, digital records, I'm there would be no case for a search warrant. I'm not so trying to resolve How does one reconcile that with your submission that the records don't really tell you very much? Well, I mean, I, I'm if, not saying they don't without, mean very much. If without the information gathered through the DRA, there would be no grounds for a search warrant, and with it, there are grounds, can one really In this say case, that the information the tells you nothing much? In this case, based on the Crown's concession, it was the difference between not having enough grounds and, and having enough. But my point about that is, is that I think one of the arguments my, my friends, are, the, the respondent and the other parties are making is that the, um, the quality of the information is such that the police could go out and get a warrant based on DRA alone. My, uh, the respondent says that in his factum. I take issue with that. There's no evidence of that. The police don't use it in that way. They're very clear about the fact that they use it at, at the way the power readings were used in the past as a confirming circumstance. And it would be, I think, an erroneous conclusion to draw because of the fact that they've only ever tested that hypothesis in cases where they had significant other grounds to contribute to the prediction that there was going to be a marijuana grow there. Why, why did the Crown make that concession about the other grounds? Poor judgment? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, with, with respect, I, 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 you know, I can't be more blunt than that. If you go back to uh, <laughs> the, the issue of the information that is um, gathered from this, uh, uh, from this uh, mechanism, um, if you look at Tesling if, and if you look at plant, uh, one element that seemed to have been important is that neither the picture nor the uh, amount of uh, energy consumed was giving very much information about what was going on inside the house. Yes. Whereas in this case, the, one of the arguments is that the readings were telling a lot more. So what allows... Uh, the readings were giving... The readings were giving a stronger confirmation of the, the, of the prediction that there was a marijuana growing on there because it's the kind of power usage that one would see where you're growing, um, you know, something, you're using timers probably, you're growing something where you're using a lot of power for 18 hours at a time. So yes, the, the, the quality of the information is better. But it's important to note that it doesn't tell us anything else about what power is being used for in the house. So it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, level any other privacy in its wake. Um, Sling would seem 
Pardon? Tesla was very clear that when you start with the fact that you're dealing with information in the house, yes. uh, if you can't get very much information or can't learn very much about what you see, then you really don't, you can't have the expectation of privacy. Here where, as you concede, there is some very clear information you can get about what we've said is the most private place an individual can have, how can we then say um, that this is like Tesling and that you really don't have the ability to rise to a sufficient level of certainty about the information that it takes it out of that protected sphere? The, the information is also consistent with other, um, and I'm going to have to wrap up because I promised some time to Ms. Boucher was a point to make, but, but the, the, um, the information is, is of a higher quality. But in my submission, it doesn't allow us to see inside the home. As we know, you could be growing something else. You could be growing some other type of vegetables, uh, another tropical flower, uh, another tropical plant. You might, you might even have a factory in your basement. You know, it's not unknown for people to operate sweatshops in their homes uh, where you've got a whole bunch of sewing machines that are running off of ballast. No, but that, that's not a reasonable analogy. The, the Detective Morrison uh, evidence was clear on the 18-hour and 12-hour cycle. The 18 hours is required for the vegetative growth of the marijuana. But then the growers try to trick the plant, he says, by this 12-hour cycle, which causes it to produce uh, the fruit. So it's highly specific to marijuana growing uh, operations. And if, if the graph shows this 18- and 12-hour cycle that, that you refer to, uh, it appears to be almost 100% accurate in, in identifying. Well, I, I beg to differ with that. I mean, I'm sorry? I beg to differ with the, with the, with the suggestion that it's 100% accurate because the police have only ever tested that hypothesis where they have other grounds, you know, to get the warrant. So, so they well, haven't, they've never employed right. this device randomly in the population to see if, 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 if it works. So, well, but, the, but, the, but he says, uh, is the graph allows at page 99 of the record. Yes. It allows us with experience to draw an inference of what electrical use is there, the inference that marijuana may be grown inside. Yes. So admittedly, there's no uh, separate random uh, uh, test. Uh, but he seems to say, look, this thing is bang on. Uh, it has be because been, of the peculiarities of the growing cycle. It has been a useful tool, but the same can be said of power records. You know, the same can be said of FLIR. Those two are very useful tools in the same way when they find the, the excessive... Well, nearly as specific as, a, as an 18- and 12-hour cycle. I mean, FLIR had uh, s snow melting on the roof and, uh, and so on. So the power records in plant just showed a monthly block of consumption. It didn't show... Uh, a pattern of consumption that, uh, from which one could infer a grow-up. It isn't that Nevertheless, problem here. Nevertheless, highly reliable predictors. Um, before you, <coughs> if you're done answering, just before you wrap up, can I go back to the intersection of the regulations? For, just for a moment, I want to make sure I understand the intersection of the regulations and the production orders that can be obtained. So if I'm a user in Alberta, a consumer, um, and if I indicate to the utility company I do not want my information shared with the police, uh, that's in accordance with the regulation, 
then the police would have to at least get a production order under uh, Section 487, correct? Yes. And, the, and in the code it says that no production order is necessary where the person will voluntarily provide data that the person is not prohibited by law yes. from disclosing. But if I've given that, that request, yes. they would be prohibited. Yes. All right. So let's say I'm, I'm, um, uh, I'm a, a, a lawful user, I have an ORCID uh, and so on, it, it, the same would apply. You could, you'd have to get a production order. If I'm stealing, how would that work? If, if I put that caveat on my file and I am stealing, um, would that, um, would that um, note on my file still prevent the utility company from sharing it with the police? The utility company, of course, is entitled to that information. Would a production order be necessary? It's or if the, if the utility company happens to find out that I'm stealing? Well, the, the, you, I think the production order would be necessary with respect to a billing record, right. you know, something that they're aware of. Um, and, and, but I would, I would suggest that it's, it's a somewhat unreasonable proposition that an individual can take advantage of con customer information protection in relation to information that he's not sharing. You know, I mean, it, it just seems to be nonsensical that if we're talking about information that the company has to get at by their own means in order to identify the fact that they're being cheated because the customer wasn't sharing that information, so there was no, no divulging going on, it, it doesn't seem to make sense to have that apply to that type of information. It, it seems to only be sensible with respect to information that is shared in the normal course of their relationship in which, you know, credit information, how much power you're using, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems that what you're saying is that in, in a course where a customer has said, I do not want that sharing, then the police would have to get a production order. But what you're saying is that the utility company itself would be at liberty as a victim if it found out that information to go to the police. Yes. All right. But when the police is asking for it, that's what I'm wondering if... Well, it's I, hypothetical here because he yes. did, that caveat was. But in my submission, I don't file. think that, that it's. As a, I think that distinction is is one that that is unrealistic because there are many situations in which the police alert people to the fact that they may have been victimized by crime and they should check check their property to see wh whether that's the case. And this is one of those, I would say. But I've I've exhausted my time. I would simply say before I turn over the small amount of initial time available to Ms. Boucher, that I have made a, a detailed submission in my factum with respect to the argument that if you work through the factors, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy here. Um, <laughs> the, the power, the customer utility relationship is certainly not one that commands an, an expectation of confidentiality. And to the extent that the legislation informs the relationship, this individual has not taken advantage of what he could have. Uh, but should we not be sensitive to the, to the fact that the, that the technology is, ev is evolving? We're getting those uh, small meters, uh, those smart meters, which may perhaps give more information about what's happening within the house. It seemed to me, though, that the court in Tesling did settle the issue that we address these concerns as they truly arise. You know. The use of more sophisticated technology in the future that may reveal more private information is not 
is not before the court. Perhaps, yes, I know that the problem of smart, of smart meters is not uh, before the, the court, but smart, uh, smart meters are getting installed these days. Yes. Yes. Justice, Justices. Um, in Kang Brown, this court recognized that a search could be authorized at common law provided it met the Waterfield test. This case is on all fours with what the court would have found uh, constituted a reasonable search uh, at common law under the ancillary powers doctrine. Uh, it was a minimally intrusive, narrowly targeted search uh, with an accurate tool on the basis of reasonable suspicion. This case has all those factors uh, and more that minimize the intrusiveness of the technique and perhaps make it uh, as good or even better a candidate for ancillary powers consideration, uh, including the utility company's shared interest in the information, uh, the nature of the utilities uh, company's relationship with the customer, the lower stigma arising from uh, the utility company uh, doing the search rather than the police, and the use of the DRA to eliminate uh, innocent people from further intrusions. Um, I'll go through, go through some of those factors, uh, which all relate to the second branch of uh, Waterfield, uh, showing why it's a minimal intrusion. Um, um, I'm also interested in whether the second branch is satisfied in the sense that uh, the police can go and get a warrant here, and uh, is there a necessity uh, for relying on the, on the common law? Well, the police can indeed get a warrant for uh, using a DRA, provided they have reasonable and probable grounds. That's the only kind of warrant that exists for them to get a, under either the criminal code uh, or the CDSA. But in a situation where they're trying to gather grounds, it's not an option uh, available to them. And if they're only at the level of reasonable suspicion, it's not an option. The, the police have to have the ability to investigate crime, and as crime and technology adapts, uh, so their tools... I would, I would agree with you, with you, but within the Constitution. Absolutely. And so what we suggest is that this is a tool the police need to reasonably be able to investigate, uh, a, a relatively serious matter, not, a, not an emergency. It doesn't require radical powers, but reasonable ones. And because the nature of the intrusion is so minimal, in a circumstance where the privacy expectation is relatively low in the type of information, it would be a justified use of Waterfield. The, uh, as uh, Mr. Reimer indicated, the, there is a low privacy expectation in general power use. Although it tells us something about uh, cycles of power use, uh, 12 versus 18 hours, that's really all that it tells us. Just whether a house uses a lot of power or doesn't use a lot of power over time, and the time period that it's uh, measuring in this case is five days. Five days is a very short uh, intrusion into that privacy interest, and uh, quite significantly different even than plant where it was a six-month uh, incursion into historical power records. Uh, I would suggest that you can perhaps learn more about uh, a person's daily life and activities and patterns from looking at a six-month uh, history rather than five days. So we're not arguing for uh, 
long-term But this use. is, uh, just to be clear, um, this is a question. Uh, I understood that this technique, DRA, uh, tells you a lot more about uh, than those records that were at issue and plant about you know what a, what what was going on at a particular time in a house when do when do the people get up when do they go to bed when do they that kind of detail wouldn't wouldn't have been in the records in plant well that's not exactly accurate on the record what the record shows um, and uh, at uh, our condensed book at tabs eight and nine. The evidence is quite specific that it doesn't reveal to the police specific activities in the home, such as when people are getting up or using particular appliances. It doesn't give any particular information that would enable the police to identify what kind of appliance is being used or where in the home it's being used. It doesn't even give any information about the grow operation itself in terms of uh, what kind of a machine is drawing on the power. It's purely an energy use uh, measure uh, over a limited time period. The fact that there's no territorial trespass as well is very significant. It's quite different from uh, cases like Kokesh and Evans where the police uh, have to go on to the property to actually make observations and uh, that has the effect of broadening the search power as well. This is a very limited activity by uh, by the power company on its own property, uh, doing an activity that they would be entitled to do in the regular course of business in any event if they wanted to check their, their power load, uh, load or if they wanted to uh, verify theft on, on their equipment. Um, the nature of the relationship between the, the customer and the utility itself, that it's not a, a relationship traditionally at common law that has any recognized uh, confidentiality to it. It's not like solicitor client privilege or doctor patient or, or anything like that. Um, the only place that a, a confidentiality relationship can arise as between those two parties is in the statute, which e even if uh, Mr. Gombach could have uh, asserted uh, that relationship of confidentiality, he didn't. There's no evidence of that in the record, and that would have been his onus to establish. Um, the the accuracy of the technique, uh, the, the court has uh, addressed somewhat. They have nearly a uh, 100% accuracy rate in uh, when they're going to ultimately do their search warrant. So it, it has, that also has the effect of uh, minimizing intrusions on innocent third parties uh, in the end, either through being subject to uh, further investigative procedures uh, or through um, uh, search warrants actually being executed on their house when there's not likely to be anything uh, found there. Uh, and I'll just close with saying that every, every sort of tool that the police are going to use impacts on privacy. And provided there's a reasonable evidentiary basis that can be established by the police to use um, the tool, it's a sufficient check on the constitutionality, constitutionality when there's a low privacy interest impacted uh, in, a, in a minimal way. Can I ask you this? You don't have any Section 24 argument. Uh, are you abandoning any attempt in the event that this was found to be an intrusion that to have the evidence brought in under 24-2? We would recommend to the court that the same approach that the majority of the Court of Appeal uh, used, be used in this case uh, because the uh, respondent had given the court information that 
he hadn't had a proper opportunity to challenge the remainder of the evidence uh, at, uh, at the trial, because the majority of the Court of Appeal would have found that there were reasonable grounds for the search in any event. Thank you. Ms. Deer. Good morning, Chief Justice and Justices. Uh, I have three points um, to give you today. The first two are in my factum, the uh, points about the importance of considering contractual provisions in the Section 8 context and the importance of determining reasonable expectation of privacy before moving on to discuss agency. And I'm going to discuss briefly a third point in relation to agency to answer some of the questions that were brought up today and to address the respondent's position in his factum. So my first point about uh, contractual provisions. When I arrived at court this morning, I went to the registry office. I had to sign a waiver saying that uh, I acknowledge that these proceedings may be uh, webcast live, may be broadcast on CPAC, and may be used for educational purposes, which is highly unlikely in my, ca my case. But at any rate, <laughs> given that I have uh, seen that document and made that acknowledgement, and given the rest of the, uh, the nature of this proceeding, um, it would not be reasonable for me to expect that what happens in this room is just between us. And that is uh, simply my position. Um, when terms of a relationship are set out, either in uh, contracts between private parties or uh, contracts that are regulated, um, or in policies that are in place uh, between uh, private actors and individual privacy claimants, those terms should be considered in the, in the mix in determining reasonable expectation of privacy. Uh, not really a controversial proposition. We've known since Plant that the nature of the relationship um, is one of the factors to consider. Uh, the devil is always in the details, so I'll try and stay away from those. But um, basically, there are valid and defensible purposes for third parties to uh, want to maintain control and access into the spheres in which their resources and their products are used. Uh, defensible, valid purposes for them wanting to um, uh, disavow themselves or restrict their duty of confidence to their to individuals, to their customers, and uh, valid and defensible purposes for them wanting to cooperate with law enforcement in certain circumstances. And my position is simply that when those decisions are reflected in contractual terms or in policies that govern the relationship, they have a place in the Section 8 analysis in reasonable expectation of privacy, and they should be uh, given due weight. And the weight, of course, will, will vary in different circumstances. Um, and courts may uh, look at contractual provisions and decide for whatever reason that they don't carry a lot of weight in a certain case. They may decide that they're dispositive in other cases. And it's only one factor. It goes under the nature of the relationship. And the court still has to determine uh, or still has to examine the nature of the actual information. And it may be in a case where somebody has basically signed off on their privacy rights or been notified that uh, a third party will notify police. But a court may determine that the nature of the information is so private that that has much more weight and that may carry the day. So my position is simply that it has a place in the mix. It should not be overlooked. The kinds of terms, of course, that would relate to privacy would be terms about ownership and control, terms about access and monitoring, uh, prohibitions of certain kinds of conduct with the third party's resources or product, and of course, uh, disclosure provisions.
My second point, on the, the point that I've made in my factum on agency, uh, is simply this, that uh, third parties are entitled to act as state agents. We're all entitled to act as agents of the state, and people assist the uh, police with law enforcement all the time. The only time state agency matters and uh, becomes an issue is when an agent of the state breaches someone's charter rights. So sometimes courts may be tempted when the specter of agency looms to jump immediately into the issue of there being a search based on their concerns about state agency. My point is simply, you have to make sure to complete the analysis on reasonable expectation of privacy first. Because if the target of the investigation, if the individual does not have a reasonable expectation of privacy, uh, third parties are entitled to act as state agents and assist the police in their investigations. And the example that I gave you uh, in my factum was the Patrick case, of course. It's now been dispositively decided that once somebody puts their garbage out for collection at the curb, um, the person whose garbage it is no longer has a reasonable expectation of privacy. So the police are entitled, and they do routinely, um, ask the city garbage collectors to come along and pick up the target's garbage, separate it, drive around the corner and give them the garbage so they're not pulling up in the cruiser, collecting it themselves and giving away um, the investigation. So if it is determined at the first stage of the analysis that there is no reasonable expectation of privacy in the information, so the analysis in this case, in my submission, should be given the contractual provisions, given the nature of the information, given everything else that goes into the reasonable expectation of privacy mix, if Mr. Gombach has no reasonable expectation of privacy in the information gleaned by the DRA, then it does not matter if the hydro company is acting as an agent of the state. They are entitled to, and it doesn't matter that the information is, uh, didn't, didn't pre-exist, that, that the hydro company generated it, um, none of that matters. They are entitled to do that if he has no reasonable expectation of privacy, just as a matter of doctrine. That's my position. And if I could get into uh, just briefly the issue of agency more globally and the test for agency. Um, the respondent has uh, dismissed out of hand in his factum um, the appellant's position that it matters that the hydro company was a victim of the offence. And there were a lot of questions asked about, about that. And I would uh, agree with my friend's position that it does matter. It's not the status as a victim. It is the interest that the hydro company has in, that, in, in gathering that information and providing it to the police. And Justice Abella, you asked uh, a couple of questions. The first was, do the hydro companies ever say no? And uh, there is no evidence that they ever say no. And on the facts of this case and, and the record that you have before you, it's unlikely that they ever would because they do have an interest in the information. And where, where it is, I won't take you to, but uh, in the appellant's record, in the evidence of Detective Morris at uh, tab 4C, page 115, Detective Morris says, uh, when he's describing how he goes to NMAX and asks them to install a DRA, he says, we also have a, a large percentage of cases where NMAX uh, becomes suspicious about a particular house, and they go of their own accord and install a DRA, and then they hand the fruits over to the police. So one of two things happens. Uh, the police become suspicious about a grow-up, and then they go to NMAX, and they ask them to install a DRA, and they do, and they provide the fruits to the police. Or NMAX becomes suspicious of a grow-up, and they install a DRA, and then they provide the fruits to the police. So the police and NMAX each have an interest 
in that information and where it does uh, support the inference that there's a grow up in handing it over <clears throat> to law enforcement. Justice Abel, you also asked uh, if it was addressed in the courts below, and I would just refer you to paragraphs 101 and 116 of uh, Justice O'Brien's decision. And he uh, concludes that, NMAT be, that NMATS was not acting as an agent because it had a legitimate interest in the information as a victim of, of the offense. So they, their legitimate interest is because they're a victim of the offense, but the legitimate interest may be uh, something else. Where it fits into the agency analysis is, the agency analysis is sort of a but-for uh, causation type of an analysis. Would the uh, information have, would the state agent have gathered that information but for the involvement of the police? This is important in these kind of circumstances uh, with victims. If you have an evidentiary <coughs> record upon which you can draw an inference that the purported state agent would have gathered the information anyway, that's important to, de to determining whether or not they are an agent. I, understood you, I thought, if I understood your argument, <clears throat> that the test would be rather if they could themselves as opposed to would, in the sense that it's information that they could very well, might have, we don't know, but they could have, it, they were entitled to get that information. And if they did, they, there's no question they could hand it over to the police. Oh, absolutely. The first part of my argument, if there's no reasonable expectation of privacy, right. Um, and Max would be entitled to gather this information. It's their information. For one thing, it's more like a consent search. It's their property. It's their information. I guess my point but is if we put wood, it's almost a race to the swiftest in the sense that if, if the utility company had gathered this information for their own purposes, there's no, no question they could give it to the police. If the police get the suspicion first, then it's a whole different scenario. So. Well, the way I would frame it is this. If you determine that, that there is a reasonable expectation of privacy in the nature of the information for, through whatever analysis, so there is some reasonable expectation of privacy, then you move on to the step, uh, is there a search? Was NMAX, and part of that uh, query is, was NMAX acting as an agent of the state? I suppose my difficulty is that the reasonable expectation of privacy doesn't answer the whole question because I don't think there could be any suggestion that there's a reasonable expectation of privacy vis-a-vis -vis the utility company. Yes. Right. So that's my point. So even if we do this analysis, there's none with respect to the utility company. All right. So if the utility company gathers this information, they can give it to the police. Then the big question is, is their expectation of privacy vis-a-vis -vis the police, right? <laughs> the utility company's expectation of privacy vis-a-vis -vis the No, 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 the user. The user. The fact that there's no expectation of privacy vis-a-vis -vis the utility company, yes. in your view, is that the end of the analysis? No, I'm sorry. I'm talking about reasonable expectation of privacy on the part of Mr. Gombach. In the event that you determine he does have a reasonable expectation of privacy, then you move on to determine whether or not there is a search within the meaning of the charter. And it was the utility company, a private actor, that gathered the information. So that's where state agency becomes important. I hope I'm answering your question. And in determining whether the state agent, the hydro company is acting as a state agent, uh, it's relevant and you can factor in if you have an evidentiary record to support the inference that they would have anyway. And it's not in all cases you're going to have it, but when you have the police officer testifying that um, 
in, in many cases, it's the hydro company that goes and gathers it and hands it over. And in the circumstances, you can see an obvious self-interest on the part of the hydro company. If you can uh, infer that the hydro company would have gathered it anyway, then you can take that into consideration in determining whether or not there is a relationship of agency. Maître Boussière. Boussière. Madam Chief Justice, Justices, first, as the Attorney General of Canada intervened, the Attorney General of Quebec is also intervening and believes that the use of this kind of DRA, the DRA, we believe that the use of this DRA to detect the protection of a prohibited drug in a home is, uh, does not come under Article 8 of the Charter of Rights. The evidence reveals that the technology, as it exists at the present time, as it's used at the present time, doesn't make it possible to reveal anything except the excessive use at specific intervals. This inter information has an influence and it does not violate the reasonable expectation of privacy. This case, therefore, nevertheless, it does indicate the DRA. It does indicate, as my colleague pointed out uh, during the submission of Mr. Reimer, that there are certain cycles of use, certain cycles of behavior, certain trends, patterns, which are used by the police to indicate the growing of marijuana and this offers specific information about the activities taking place within the home. That's true. This does reveal certain cycles of consumption but the only thing really, the only thing that you can deduce from this is the production of marijuana. Any other consumption of electricity you can't deduce anything else from the consumption of electricity. You can make an analogy, for example, with a flower when there's a specific area, the only thing really that this can tell, allow you to infer is the production of marijuana because we know that the producer use cycles of 12 hours and 18 hours. But you can't determine that the person in the home was using, for example, his toaster or using his dryer or using his oven. So really it's not that intrusive in one's privacy and it can't be distinguished from plant and testing as regards the nature of information obtained. But as a subsidiary matter, if the court were to decide that a, such a non-intrusive use of, of investigation, such a DRA, well the Attorney General argues that the court should adopt the same approach as that used by the majority in the court in the Ken Brown case and that adopted also by Justice Abella in her reasons in Patrick, for example dealing with the garbage. Insofar as the court concludes that this is a search, the Attorney General of Quebec considers it used allowed by common law when there are reasonable grounds for suspecting the perpetration of an offence. The police acted clearly 
under their common law responsibility to prevent crime. And then the use of this DRA when there are reasonable suspicions is a reasonable use, a necessary use, and therefore justifiable since it establishes a balance between the right to privacy and the interest of society to address the issue of growing marijuana in a residence. In our view, to impose the criteria of the Hunter decision for the use of a, such a technique of investigation would be a disproportionate uh, requirements. The only requirement resulting directly from Article 8 in that case, in what case, in what situation would Article 8 apply would, of the Charter? It would apply. We're saying that in this case, they are respecting Article 8. So what you're proposing, really? Essentially, it is for all practical purposes to come back on Hunter to substitute the criteria for reasonable causes or reasonable suspicion. In fact, what we are arguing is that in criminal law, as in regulations also, the only requirement under Section 8 is one of reasonability. And you have to establish a clear balance between the public interest and the enforcement of the law and the reasonable explanation of individuals for privacy. In the case law, with respect to protection against a search, the court has always tried to apply uh, levels. But at this time, if I clearly understand you, what you're proposing is to drop Hunter. Well, not to drop it a priori, what well, if we drop it in criminal matters, on regulatory matters, what's left? In criminal matters, the main criteria, Hunter still does the main reference to determine if it's a reasonable or unreasonable search. But in criminal matters, we have to look at the nature of the intrusion of privacy. If the technique could violate privacy, then we believe that we should come back to the prime analysis under Section 8, which is to establish a fair balance. And to apply this in every case of criminal investigations, the Hunter decision wouldn't establish a clear balance or a good balance, given the low expectations for privacy in the case of some investigations. So your argument is limited to the analysis of certain methods of inquiry rather than to seizure or to search in general. That's right. We have to look at a case-by-case -case method. Each method investigation to what degree it affects privacy and how it could be intrusive. And we believe there's reasonable suspicion that could be an acceptable standard as the majority of this court did in fact decide in the Ken Ground case. So in the same way, in the criminal context, we believe that the degree to which a technique of investigation violates the privacy of the individual is a key factor to decide whether the search is reasonable under Section 8. So one method of police investigation is a search but doesn't really affect privacy then this should be less protected under Section 8, and I think the court recognized this criminal in criminal matters in the Wise and King Ground decisions. And more specifically, 
in this case, there's a requirement to have reasonable grounds to believe that an offence was taking place and this would put an end to the use of the DRA for the police not to investigate on the production of prohibited drugs. The evidence on the file, as well as case law on this subject, confirms that in most cases the method of investigation seeks in fact to acquire reasonable grounds to believe this necessary to ask for a search warrant under 86 of the Criminal Code, Section 86, by imposing stringent standards of belief so as to obtain greater protection and privacy, one might, in fact, come to the opposite effect. That is, that the police can no longer use the DRA to confirm their suspicions by the production of drugs in the residence, then they have to use other methods of investigation which might be less reliable, so therefore they might be asking for a search warrant on less certain evidence. The evidence reveals that some judges in Alberta refuse to issue a search warrant if they do not have conclusive DRA results. We also have to consider that the use of the DRA can be used not just to acquire reasonable grounds for believing there's an offence taking place, but can also to set aside certain unfounded suspicions, in that it might in fact exempt certain suspects from the use of such a reliable and non-intrusive method as DRA, and this might provide better protection of privacy. As regards the requirement of judicial authorization, prior authorization, even though this is twinned with the standard of reasonable expectation, we don't think this would really provide better protection of privacy of individuals. It's when the police actually enter the residence in order to search it that then there's an attack on privacy. What's essential, therefore, is that the search warrant be delivered on, factual, on the basis of factual information. But this, another part of your argument, is that you should remove, therefore, judicial control uh, for search warrants, if I clearly understand. So what's left? Once again, what's left of Section 8? in terms of constitutional guarantees. What we're proposing is given the low attack on privacy, there could be, would not, not be up to the judges to actually decide on this, if this is the case or not. Would the criteria be a cri criteria of authorization by the chief of police or by the courts? Well, there's no doubt that as regards a method investigation, one which might be more intrusive, for example, in the Wise case, where the court decided we have reasonable grounds to believe, but in fact, uh, yes, in fact, a court could, could decide in that specific case that the warrant is necessary. And the, so what you're suggesting to us is that the police can act as they wish without any control, if they do have some suspicions, which you describe as being reasonable. But it's not without control, Mr. Justice Lavelle. Where would the control be? Would it just be a control after the fact? So if it wouldn't be without control, if the police could use a method of investigation, when you consider the method of investigation is not a, 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 a warrant, then there's no control. If in fact uh, there is in fact a method of control, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Your proposal is suggested 
that instead of considering certain activities as searches, they wouldn't be searches, the criteria of reasonable requirement is too difficult, too restrictive, so you want to eliminate that on a criterion of reasonable suspicion. Judicial authorization is a nuisance, so you get rid of that also. Well, the main factor which leads me to ask to conclude that reasonable suspicion is a criteria, satisfactory criteria, is the low expectation of privacy here with respect to using certain methods of investigation. Some are more intrusive, such as actually searches, and the criterion is still pertinent, still relevant, should still to apply, continue to apply. This is the fundamental point, and the attack on privacy really is minimum. So it's not serious. You believe it's not serious, in a words, thank you very much, thank you, thank you. So the court will take a break.
Mr. Stewart. Madam Chief Justice, Mr. Justices, Madam Justices, good morning. Justice Binney, in uh, 2004 in Tesling, you stated, if as expected, the capacity of FLIR and other technology improves and the nature and quality of that information improves, the court will have to deal with its privacy implications at that time and in light of the facts as they exist. You found at that time floor technology was mundane. It's my submission to you this morning that the day you predicted six years ago has arrived. It arrived last week in a letter that you all received or will receive soon advising you that you are all going to be receiving or have already received a smart meter. You won't find it coming in an envelope, but it's going to be in your house. How do we assess, Mr. Stewart, what our, as homeowners, privacy interests are in light of a regulation that says you, the information that we give through a smart meter or otherwise, can be disclosed without our consent for any purpose, including a peace officer, unless yes. we expressly say, no, you don't have our permission to give that information out. Is that a waiver of our expectation of privacy? Well, lady, that's a very good question, but, and I apologize, I should have said this when I started. Um, I propose uh, to address you for 40 minutes in relation <laughs> to Mr. Reimer's arguments in relation to the expectation of privacy. My friend, Mr. Andrews, will deal with the, what we call the section issue B arguments in the consolidated uh, factum, and that is, is it a reasonable search? And that uh, issue uh, falls clearly in the issue of whether it's a reasonable search. My argument is going to be in relation to Mr. Reimer's argument and respond to whether, in fact, there is a search and whether there's a reasonable expectation of privacy. So with your leave, if I might uh, defer to my friend in answering that question. Of course. Is it your position, then, that that doesn't go to the expectation of privacy when, when we sign? I appreciate it's a contract of adhesion, but yes. you're saying it doesn't go to that issue. It only goes to the question of the reasonableness of the search? What I'm saying is that uh, we do have a, res a reasonable expectation of privacy <coughs> in those things that occur in our home, quite clearly. I have difficulty with, I, I don't want to mess up your division, but I have difficulty divorcing the two because you're going to deal with whether there's an expectation of privacy. So perhaps we can approach it this way. Is it your client's position that he has an expectation of privacy vis-a-vis -vis the utility company who use these DRA to find out who's consuming electricity where? And, um, in, in some places, they charge you more if you wash at 6 o'clock instead of 12 midnight. 
So do we our not position, have to look at the contract first? But it's not the total answer, but do we? Um, our position is that you have an expectation of privacy in those things which occur in your home. The court, in assessing whether a search has occurred, will obviously assess uh, who is looking at your private matters in your house. When the utilities do that, it's a search. They're looking, they're seeing things. But it's not one where the Constitution uh, enters into it, where Section 8 enters into it. It's only when the police or the state do it that it becomes a search that is subject to Section 8. And so if the utilities were, as they do, uh, were to uh, graph the electricity in my home and see that uh, I uh, was up most of the night and, uh, and not sleeping, I have an expectation of privacy in that information that I didn't have a good night's sleep. But it's not reviewable, and we don't suggest for a minute to you that that's reviewable under Section 8. It's only when the police go to the utilities and say, what's happening in the house? That's when Section 8 is triggered. Um, my concern, I suppose, is that the police in investigating crime will ask all kinds of questions of all kinds of people. Um, are we in a situation where you're talking about an expectation of privacy that third parties will never reveal to the police? Uh, if there's no expectation of privacy or no illegality in divulging this? Because if the utility company, for its own purposes, we, it's in the record, for their own purposes, they can gather this kind of information. They can go to the police if there's theft. I don't think you'd argue well, against that. That's, that's an interesting point, because my friend makes that his argument. But uh, as you note in my friend's argument, he says, Section 8 is not engaged when the police enlist a crime victim to gather evidence of a crime, which is an interesting point. But it's not the case we have before us today, because the police did not enlist the utility to gather evidence of the crime of theft electricity. If they had engaged the utility to help them find the theft of electricity, the record would show that the search warrant they sought was for the theft of electricity. They have a duty to be frank and give full disclosure in the ITO on which the search warrant is based. When you look in the record, the ITO doesn't disclose that they believed there was a theft of electricity. What my friend's argument is, it's the forbidden ex post facto reasoning. He knows that after they went in and discovered a theft of electricity, which you might note my client was acquitted of, he was never convicted of theft of electricity, he was acquitted. This is the trial level. But it's only after they went in and discovered that there had been a theft of electricity that now they argue, well, utilities, of course, could help us find out about the theft of electricity. But that's something that's totally ex post facto. Yes, but the police could have gone to uh, the utility and say, well, maybe you should check. And then the utility looks for themselves and realizes that there is this 
uh, awkward consumption, then the police can ask, did you find anything? And at that point, it's the exact situation where, yes, they're entitled to hand out or they would be entitled, or the question is, are they entitled to um, disclose the information that they got, uh, mostly in view of this contractual regula uh, um, uh, environment where the person has been told that information can be uh, given to the police? Again, uh, this isn't the area that I was proposing to address you on, uh, and my friend will be able to answer that question on the contractual obligations that falls into the Section B of the, uh, of the response. But that's directly related to the expectation of privacy. Uh, in my respectful submission, that there's no, the, there is no issue of expectation of privacy. Of course there's an expectation of privacy. These are things happening inside his home. But this is also electricity flowing from a source. And the source, the utility, is the one that's providing the, uh, the service. So this utility, utility corporation is entitled to have this information. They're entitled to have it. The issue is what are they entitled to do with it? Are they entitled, and, and should they be entitled, um, to give it to the police with, when the police come and seek it without a warrant? It's a, it's a valuable police technique, and there's no question about that. And I'm not here trying to tell you that the police should be precluded from having this information. What I'm here to suggest is that all we want them to do is get prior judicial approval of it. And the reason we do is because it is such vital personal information emanating from the home. Can I take you to that very point? I mean, it, was, it, it struck me, looking at the ITO, that virtually the only paragraph that deals with uh, the DRA information is paragraph 6. And what it talks about is that it shows a definite cycle pattern of high electrical use for 12 to 18 hours, et cetera, depending on the growth stage, whatever. Yes. Do we know whether that is information that would not otherwise have been available but for the DRA? Yes. It, that there's no dispute about the fact that the ordinary uh, utility records would not have shown that level of scrutiny? Um, that's correct. In fact, um, the only reason that the utility put it on, put their special machine on, was because the police said, we want you to provide us with information that um, you don't have now, but we want you to put it on and graph, excuse me, graph the electrical consumption in this house. This isn't something that is done, uh, well, it wasn't done in 2004, but today with the smart meters, um, it will be graft, being grafted in everybody's home. Could you help me with one provision? You say your position is that they should, not that they should not get that information, but that they should get prior judicial authorization. Yes. All right. We'd be talking about a production order in this case, that, uh, prior judicial authorization to tell utility company to 
get this information. So what do we make of Section 487.014? For greater certainty, no production order is necessary for a peace officer enforcing this act to ask a person to voluntarily provide to the officer data, information, whatever, that the person is not prohibited by law from disclosing. You'd have to take the position that the utility company is not is prohibited by law from disclosing this because they did voluntarily provide it, and the code itself says no production order is necessary. So how do we? I guess whichever way I, I look at this, and that's my concern, and it may be with the second part of the argument here is how do we get outside the fact that there was this regulation and the customer never asked that this information not be disclosed? And, it's a, again, that's, a, that's something my friend, my friend will deal with. Um, if I might uh, take you to a, a point that came up in your questions and which I think is important that we clarify. Um, Justice Binney, in, um, in the uh, Tesla case, you said that um, because this information is so mundane, uh, you couldn't get a search warrant for it. Um, in my friend's argument, an answer to your question or question this morning, he said that um, there is not enough in this DRA information uh, to get a search warrant. In fact, there's no evidence in the record that that's the case. But uh, I, I differ with him. And if you look at uh, the uh, record at uh, tab 4, C, at page 99, this is an excerpt of uh, Sergeant Morrison's evidence. And what Sergeant Morrison said, and just I believe you quoted uh, this paragraph, but you didn't finish it. it For what page are you at? Uh, page 99 at tab C, sub tab C in 4. And the quote is, this is the sergeant talking at trial. What this graph allows us to do is it gives us information on approximately 12 and or 18 hour use. It allows us with experience to draw the inference on what the electrical use in there, the inference that marijuana may be grown inside. But the key is the last sentence. It gives us reasonable and probable grounds. The DRA alone gives them reasonable and probable grounds. That's what you need for a search warrant. Well, the you, police officer may have said that, but how could it be? I mean, you'd have, I'm go, I want a search warrant because this person spends, ha, consumes too much electricity around supper time, an exorbitant amount. I mean, that wouldn't get you anywhere, would it? Absolutely not, if that right. was the evidence. But that's not the evidence. Remember what it does. The DRA tells the police that the electrical, electrical cycles in this house come on for 12 hours off, 12 hours on, or 18 and 12. That's extremely significant because that's the pattern you need to grow marijuana. His evidence is that in all the cases I've done that I've got warrants, it's never not been a marijuana grow, except when it was once an orchid. That is, I respectfully submit to you, almost 
100% reliability that there's a marijuana grow. And that's the activity in the house that this data discloses in part. And how, how does that connect to the fact that there's a reasonable expectation of privacy? I'm just not. Well, it's because what they're doing is they're using this data to look inside the house to see what is happening inside the house. The data, as you will see, I'm sure, have read in uh, my friend uh, from the Civil Liberties Association in their supplemental book of authorities, um, you have the annual report from the Information and Privacy Commission of Ontario, their report to the Legislative Assembly. And what that says is, and uh, I'll just quote, my overreaching privacy concern in the smart grid's ability to greatly increase the amount of information that's currently available relating to individuals within their homes, their habits, and their behaviors. And if you look at the Stanford Law Review, which you'll find in uh, my uh, friend, the Civil Liberties Association, tab 12, it's, what it does is it shows you what changes happened. There's been a diametric change in what this technology tells us between plant, what now, 16 or 13 years ago, and what we've got now with this new technology. And at paragraph 12, line 133, the meters found in basements on exterior walls are typically read once a month or less frequently. That's plant. The information, now talking uh, today, the information itself is distinct from the averages found in today's bills. But more significantly, the information one can glean or infer, infer from the more accurate and detailed set is radically different. Electrical consumption patterns in the coming demand response system will reveal variations in power consumption, which in turn can be associated with various household activities. Over time, power consumption information can reveal personal sleep, work habits, the presence of certain medical equipment and other specialized devices, and of course, signal illegal behavior. And so what has become clear is this. In plant, it was found no reasonable expectation of privacy because the data was mundane. Uh, it was in Tesling, it was the same. It was mundane. It didn't tell anything. What you have now today is you have data that, from Sergeant Morrison's position, is enough to get a search warrant by itself. You have data that not only tells you that there's a crime going on, but it also tells all that core biographical information that we look at to determine if there's a privacy interest. How much sleep you got, uh, whether you had a bath this week. I, I find some, uh, some tension in your argument this way. Perhaps I'm not understanding it well because you say it's so precise that you could get a, reason, uh, a warrant based on that alone. Yes. And it seems that the, the more precise you are, the less risk of invasion of privacy there is. But then your argument is that 
no, it could be when you sleep, when you don't sleep, it could be all kinds of machines that you use, and to me that if it can be all of that, you shouldn't be able to get a warrant based on, on that information alone. Um, I don't know if I'm Well, you should, be, you should be able to get a warrant on that information alone. And the point is that, and that's all we're asking, is that um, they get a warrant to get that information because the privacy right is so high. The nature and the quality of that data is so detailed now that we have an exceptionally strong interest in the keeping private. If we do the spectrum to see where it falls, it's our position that Gombach is more private than the information from Kang Brown. Because Kang Brown disclosed a lot of personal information, but it wasn't a house. In Gombach, you have all this core biographical information coming from inside a house. What's and the core biographical information that's different from Tesla? Oh, the... Uh, it's, uh, it's exceptionally different. More precise information, but what is it about, what about it, it makes it core biographical information? Well, it allows the power company and the police, if they ask, to know all kinds of things about you. It'll tell you uh, whether you slept last night, how many hours you slept. If you read the MIT report, it can tell the details of what you were drying in your dryer. We're, you're talking about the kind of information that the smart meters can give. Yes. We're talking about here the information on which your client claim privacy is these cycles. What do these cycles reveal about core personal information? The, um, <clears throat> to be clear, and uh, allow me to suggest this, that we have different words for these machines. In the West, we call them DRAs. In Ontario, they call them SMART. Um, in the United States, they call them DALMs. They all do the same thing. And what they do is they all capture and record the flow in real time of electricity. And it's that capture of the flow of electricity which now allows this incredibly detailed information about what you're doing in your house. Uh, the DRA for Sergeant Morrison was used to tell that there's a marijuana grub. But that doesn't mean that that information only talks about marijuana. You think about it. If, as, uh, if, as Sergeant Morrison would have you believe that I, and Mr. Reimer all DRA and smart meters do is tell you if you're growing marijuana. Well, Why I, do think, we all I don't want to, Mr. Stewart, I don't want to go too technical, but we should avoid uh, are we, uh, drawing conclusion and confusing different equi equipment. I very much doubt that an ammeter is totally the same thing as a, as a smart meter as we understand them and as they are being installed in uh, private, have been, uh, as they're being installed in private homes. They're not in the same play, play places and do not play the same role. With all due respect, 
they measure exactly the same thing. The, the, they measure the flow in real time of electricity. If you look at the graph that is prepared from the DRA, it's extraordinarily similar to the graph you find from the DALM uh, in the materials in the Civil Liberties Association uh, source book. But shouldn't we focus on the information that is at issue here rather than what could potentially have been handed out by the uh, utility company to the police? Uh, th that issue is at what time do we look at uh, the issue of privacy? Do we go back in time to 2004 with the DRA, or do we look today what's happening and where it's going? Um, regardless of what position you take on that, I submit to you that it's clear it's, the data is only getting more accurate and telling more about what's in your house. But you don't even have to go there. You can look back in 2004 and see that the data is enough to look into your house and see that there's a marijuana grow. We submit that the privacy interest of what's happening in your house is significant and that it clearly is a privacy right. Um, today, uh, I don't think there can be any argument that you have a privacy right in relation to when you have a shower, whether you have a shower, uh, when, you, uh, when you have breakfast or if you have breakfast, or if you leave your children home alone. It's all data now that's available by using these devices. And so the issue is we're not saying these devices can't be used because clearly there's good reason and benign reasons for using them. All we're saying is that if the police want to use them to look into your house, they should ask a judge for permission as opposed to what's happening now where they just go and ask the provider to give it to them. As Justice Martin stated in his decision in the Alberta Court of Appeal, the police can't go or shouldn't be able to go to the electrical provider to get what they can't get themselves, which they're precluded from getting without a search warrant. It's an end run around the charter. You're saying it's no longer the case then? As Pardon? You're saying essentially that it is no longer the case as it was in plant? Not at all. That I we can say with certainty the way they did very clearly in plant that electrical consumption reveals very little about personal lifestyle and private decisions of the individual. Yes, you're saying that is no longer true? Absolutely. They, uh, as they say, uh, the privacy landscape is dynamic and shifting. But they said that the pattern of electrical consumption reveals nothing. And do we know any more with the DRA than pattern of consumption? Do we know more? Than just pattern of consumption? Because what, the, what they talked about in plant was the pattern of consumption. But what they were talking about is they weren't talking about real time. Remember, in plant, it was just the monthly electrical billing. And so from month to month, they could see one month you use more electricity, the next month you didn't use as much electricity. That's the pattern they were talking about. What we're talking about is we're talking about not month to month, but real time from hour to hour. 
And the graph in the ITO and what they use now is, whoa, look at those hours. Can we see more time? Is there, does that reveal more of what's happening in the house? It reveals everything for their purposes happening in the house. You can't tell by looking for a month how much electricity was used, whether they were growing marijuana. You can't look into the house with that data. You can clearly look into the house with this data. You, um, your, your, your argument, I don't think there's much question that what goes on in the house, there's an expectation of privacy, and, and there can all be, be a lot of private details about it. I suppose my difficulty is that you jump from that to the need for judicial authorization. The same argument could be made, and even more so in Patrick, the garbage case, that what, what ends up being in the garbage, the empty pill bottles that you take, and so on and so forth, Obviously, there's an immense privacy in all of what's happening in the home. Yes. But we have to carry the argument a bit further. That didn't mean that the police couldn't get the garbage once it's out of the home. So, Quite right, because... You seem to stop from there. This is private information. But that's it. That's the end of the argument. They need a judicial warrant, and that's not very helpful. Well, as I recall your decision in plant, Bon, si je me souviens bien de votre décision. That information, that he put it, although not outside the property line, close enough to the property line to indicate he had subjectively abandoned it. I quite understand. I'm not saying it's just the same case. My point is that we have to go beyond just the fact that the information in and of itself can well have some private elements to it, but we have to go on and say, but vis-a-vis -vis the utility company first, uh, is there a, an expectation of privacy? The answer may be yes or no. I would suspect it's no vis-a-vis -vis the utility company and then vis-a-vis -vis the police and why should there be one? Um, I, I just, you make a jump from this is private information and that's the end of the argument. Can you help us beyond? Like it, it is information that is available outside the home yes. from the reader. So where do we go from there? Well, I think the distinction is this. It, it becomes protected private information when it's the police who are requesting it. When the utility is requesting it or taking it for their purposes, of course it's still private information, but it's private information that you're willing to provide to them. And the difference is that it's only when the police, the state, attempts to obtain this information that Section 8 is triggered. And just a variation. The, it's, the utility is not private vis-a-vis -vis the utility company. Um, I think you, you've said that. Uh, so if the utility company had it, they could provide it to the police for their own purposes? Could they? For the, yes, if they were a victim of a crime. For example, a bank has all kinds of private information of yours. If they find that you're uh, doing something criminal, they could go to the police and say, hey, something criminal is happening, here's this information. Uh, same with the utility. If the utility thought, hey, we're being, uh, theft is being stolen from us, uh, and we have this uh, evidence. I have no problem with the argument that's the put to you. Could the police tell the bank we have information that hmm, maybe you should look at something here happening? Would that make it then illegal for the bank to look at it for their own purposes? 
it may be useful to the police for another purpose. With it, are we in, in a position where the, the, the police could not, the bank couldn't go back to the police and give that information without a warrant? Well, it, it would seem disingenuous of the police to attempt to get information that they're precluded from, by the charter from getting. Presumably, if the police had information uh, that there was a crime going on, uh, they would apply for a warrant. And if they had reasonable probable grounds, the court would grant them a warrant and they would get the information, as opposed to going through the back door. It's in the complicated society we live in today, we enter into all kinds of agreements with all kinds of uh, entities. Uh, they will have, and we give them voluntarily, or sometimes not so voluntarily, because, for example, I had to, uh, I had to fly out here, um, so I had to give a lot of personal information to the airlines. Uh, but the police shouldn't be allowed to get that personal information for their purposes. And that's what surely Section 8 protects. And that's why it requires uh, reasonable and probable grounds. And so in answer to your question, um, no, the police should not be allowed to go uh, to the utilities and say, uh, we have no grounds we, that a judge would grant as a warrant, but why don't you? You have a contractual basis with them. You can go and look for us, like the mailman. Can the police go to the mailman and say, we've got some suspicions, but no grounds. There's a marijuana grow in that house. You have the right to go up and put mail in that mailbox. But the, mail, the mailman does not have any interest. The utility company might be looking, might be interested in looking whether it's been, there's energy well, stolen. Well, and they might be, but in this case, in our facts here, there's no evidence of that. Um, there's no evidence that they even knew that there was a, uh, a theft, and they yes, didn't ask. They did not know because there was this bypass. But if you just, if your argument only leads uh, to impose one additional step to say, well, before asking for uh, this device, the police should say, well, why don't you look for for your own purposes? And thereafter, we will be in a position to uh, continue our investigation and ask the same information for other purposes. The police, uh, the police, the police could do that. They they could ask. And our position is that if the police require this information, they should obtain a search warrant if they're requesting it in relation to a, a criminal offense. Even in the scenario where the the, the utility company has uh, fetched the information for its own purposes? Well, that's why the search warrant is so important, because what might happen is you may have um, no reason at all to do it. Or you may just decide, for example, in a, a power uh, or marijuana grow, you may decide this is a bad neighborhood. The police say this is a bad neighborhood. I bet somebody out there is growing marijuana. So they go to the utilities and say, you know, why don't you check all your records for this block of houses to see if um, anybody uh, has this power consumption that's consistent with the marijuana grow? And so the utility company then, because they're concerned about their theft, they could go and they could look 
and then they could give it back to the police and the police would then get the search warrant? I think it's an extremely dangerous scenario and that's why we're suggesting that when the police initiate the investigation, they must get a search warrant to get the information as opposed to simply bypassing the charter and all scrutiny by the courts and getting someone who has a contractual obligation that allows them to get the information and using them as their agent. We're, we're, we will get to that, but then we're into the constitutionality of 487.014 that allows third parties voluntarily to give information, so long as they're not. It's not illegal for that party to have it or to produce it. Yes, and we will get into right. that. Uh, Uh, to, uh, to conclude then, it's, uh, it's our position that there is an expectation of privacy, uh, that uh, that expectation of privacy is for the information that's found uh, in your home, and that that expectation of privacy uh, relates to this data that uh, the power company uh, has obtained. Um, the, uh, that expectation of privacy, of course, then, if you accept that there's an expectation of privacy, would make what has happened here a search. And then if it's a search, the next question, of course, uh, is it reasonable? And my friend, Mr. Andrews, will address you on that point. Mr. Stewart and I are such good friends anymore, having uh, had the questions, the tough questions, deflected onto me. Let me, uh, let me try and answer them uh, as best I can. Uh, Justice Abella raises the issue about the homeowner and where does the homeowner stand in, in regard to the charter if uh, there's a regulation. And what I'm, and our position is clearly that uh, the regulation in the circumstances is being used to circumscribe the Charter. And that, uh, and what we've asked uh, in applying the Hunter and Southam analysis in terms of saying uh, not only was this a search, but that the Crown is asking you to uh, find that it was authorized by law and suggest really there's two ways to get there. One is through this regulation. Uh, and or uh, through Waterfield. Uh, it's our position, first of all, at the high watermark, that uh, customer information doesn't mean DRA. It means, uh, because a customer is not a residence, a customer is a person or some other uh, legal entity. Sorry, I, I well, didn't done. Go ahead. Don't office have individuals wired directly for electricity. <laughs> right. And you wire houses. But 
there's scarcely there's scarcely an activity that we can participate in in modern society that doesn't rely on on that being wired for electronic activity, and uh, well, the customer and what the customer is is a consumer, and what DRA is is a series of graphs that depict electrical consumption within the residence, and so our first position is Section 103F of the regulation uh, doesn't in customer information doesn't include DRA uh, and that the regulation doesn't authorize the warrantless seizure of the cycles of electricity uh, that's consumed within the home. Could you th then help me on that because in the at the voir dire where this was raised under the reasonable expectation of privacy argument not right. the search side. That's okay. Uh, it was what uh, Madam Justice Erb used partly to, sh to show, to mitigate against the argument that there was, in fact, an expectation of privacy. Because there was the contractual relationship. Right. So how is that not the case, that when you are in, when you've got a regulation like 103F, mm -hmm. which says this information, if you get it, <coughs> if you're if you are getting electricity from the uh, company, don't expect that we can't give this information to, among other people, police officer for the purposes of investigating the crime. So how, I don't really understand your argument about how you can remove that regulation whose constitutionality is not being impugned before us from the equation of determining whether or not they're really either your argument about reasonableness of the search or um, at the voir dire, the reasonable expectation of privacy. How do, how do you so shrink its impact as to say it that really doesn't play a role? Well, I, I guess it goes back to the, um, <clears throat> what I uh, attempted to understand from constitutional law, which is, and as Justice Martin found in his decision, that uh, the purpose of the regulations were to do more, no more than permit the utility to share pre-existing customer information with the police unless the customer is objected. Now, we're saying that uh, if the legislature is presumed to be aware of the limits of their jurisdiction, then the regulation should be read as being consistent with Section 8 of the Charter. Uh, and where it's inconsistent, it should be uh, and, and certainly that the definition of customer information as it's contained within this regulation does not include DRA. Section but, but 13 the, of the regulation does include DRA, but it can't be released without consent, and but, that consent is not implicit in, the, in this uh, contract. But the can. definition of customer information is simply information that is not available to the public and that is uniquely associated with a customer. Well, in, in this case... Is that, wh why is that limited to pre-existing information? Because it's information which is uniquely associated with the residence, uh, and it's uniquely associated with the place in which the electricity is being consumed. And the customer. Pardon me? And the customer. Well... It's called customer information. Customer... I mean, it is our position that information about cycles of electricity going into a particular residence is only shown to be uniquely associated uh, if it's only shown that one person is ever in that residence 
uh, or that person is the customer of the utility, which the two don't necessarily flow, and, and that's why we're so, – So it could never apply. I mean, what else is a utility company, an electrical utility, going to be uh, providing other than information about the electrical consumption usage uh, in the residence? It sounds to me like your argument is saying this regulation can never apply. Yes. Uh, it is very much my position that uh, customer information and historical energy consumption are not DRA information, and that resort to this regulation does not authorize the search in law. It doesn't meet the Hunter and Southern test um, because it's being uh, circumscribed uh, in a way that it, it, it is not intended to be used. Uh, and that's why uh, it's been our position that uh, in order to – where the legislation is inconsistent with Section 8 um, based on a plain reading of the regulation, uh, that uh, the court, this Court should find the Code of Conduct regulation and the Electrical Utilities Act does not include DRA information, thus rendering this search unauthorized by law, which I appreciate does not answer Justice Sharon's question. Uh, uh, directly with respect to Section 47 of the Criminal Code, but uh, that this seizure of DRA is not authorized by the statute. But th this, that's only one uh, branch of the argument about the, whether the power was there. But the other is the, is the charter argument, and what's put against uh, your client is that given this regulatory framework, he That's right. had no reasonable expectation of privacy. So it's not a powers argument. It's a reasonable expectation of privacy argument. Correct. And so the question becomes, can the regulations be used to uh, circumscribe uh, Section 8 because he – enters into this relationship, and this is part of what Justice Martin was expressing his concern about uh, in terms of the, the strict construction, because as we know, we enter into a multitude of complex relationships with third parties and with commercial entities in order to obtain essential services, wherein there is an enormous repository of information gathered about us. And so the question is, do we retain some reasonable expectation of privacy uh, in that uh, particularly where, as we say, the law in Alberta is inconsistent with charter values. Uh, but even if that's not the case... Uh, but it was uh, the law was never uh, challenged. The regulation was never ch challenged. They're still both on the books. That is correct. This is the law, and that's in part why we urge the court to um, uh, apply... Uh, in part the, uh, the Section 1 analysis with respect to, uh, with respect to this legislation. Absent uh, a constitutional challenge? Well, as I say, it goes back to um, – You say it should be interpreted in accordance with upholding the charter values. Correct. And so I'm sorry, Justice LaBelle, I don't mean to totally duck your question. My, my answer to you is 
That is correct. There isn't a Section 1 challenge. But uh, if I go back to the construction of statutes, it seems to be that uh, it is appropriate to ask this Court to interpret the legislation as being consistent with charter values. But if you go back to the expectation of privacy, and if there is a notice to the customer, you should not expect privacy. What's the role of that notice? Well, uh, the role of the notice is, it's, uh, in this case, on these facts, the notice is, unless you notify them that you don't want your information turned over uh, to the police, then, you can, uh, then it will be. Um, <clears throat> the issue then becomes, do you retain a reasonable expectation of privacy? What level of privacy do you have, not insofar as uh, this is activity that is not just territorial in terms of it's going on inside of the home, but it's informational because it's talking about what you're doing inside of your home. The neutrality directive is such that whether you're doing something legal or illegal, you still have an expectation of privacy in your home. So the question becomes, can a regulation in the province of Alberta waive uh, Section 8 or Trump Section 8? Can I, can I bring you then back to the last words of the regulation? Yes. If the regulation had been, uh, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy, customer, mm -hmm. because we can give any information anytime we want and didn't have the, unless you tell us to the contrary, I think you may be on firmer ground. But if you're inviting us to do a theoretical Section 1, and you have a provision which allows for the customer, in fact, to protect his or her customer information, how does that, even if it were before us, violate the Charter when you've got words which you're essentially inviting us to read as redundant because you're saying whether or not you expressly protect your confidentiality, your confidentiality is presumed to be protected. And that's, I think we're at common ground, Justice Abello, because the circ the, there are means of obtaining this information that don't infringe the Charter. So you've got a regulation that we say does infringe the Charter, and a legislative framework found within, and as you see from paragraph 16 of the information to obtain in this case, the police have uh, and do resort to uh, using the search warrant when they have some doubt as to the physical location of the, the transformer. So the concept of resorting to the, uh, the, 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 the protected charter values is not foreign uh, in the analysis of what do we do with the DRA. It seems to me that they're unduly focused on the location perhaps, but, and that is why ultimately a, legis a, a rule like that, a law like that, and why we say wording like that is inconsistent with charter values, because it allows the police to recruit any agency with limited access to a home and uh, exploit that access to gather information. In other words, uh, to rely on uh, this legislative uh, or this regulatory framework to do what they themselves cannot do. And so to that extent, it is inconsistent. Uh, with uh, the core or the key charter value in this case, which is the protection afforded under Section 8. Can I start with the, the, what the Court of Appeal uh, accepted your argument to read the regulation restrictively, and I'm at paragraph 24 of 
Justice Martin. And he, he concludes, in my opinion, at the, at the end of that paragraph, in my opinion, the regulations do no more than permit the utility to share pre-existing customer information with the police unless the customer has objected. All right. So let's say we start from this. Here, the customer has not objected. So if the police had come to the utility company and asked, uh, do you have a DRA? We do. They could have given it. Correct? Correct. Okay. If it's not pre-existing, according to the majority's view here, uh, the regulations would not authorize it. The police would have to get a production order. Correct. Okay. Help me with Section 487.014 because yes, Mr. the code does say that the police officer, you don't need a production order if the third party voluntarily gives the information um, that the person is not prohibited by law from disclosing. So we'd have to find that the utility company is prohibited by law from disclosing information, not any kind of information, information that it itself can obtain, regularly does, and it would be prohibited even when the customer has not objected on file. That's my difficulty. Help me. The utility company would have to be required by law to say, no, I cannot go get this for you. I could get it on my own, but I cannot go get this for you. Right, because as I say, it's uh, their position, the, the the position that it's authorized by law is based on a, on a, uh, a uh, in my sense, defending Justice Martin and Justice Berger's decision that it's based on uh, a wrong or an incorrect reading of that regulation. But assuming that's not the case, uh, then you are collecting information which, uh, then the information is collected. It presumes We have to, I, I mean, you have to first uh, accept that it is uh, appropriate. And I'm just, I'm just wanting to go right to the, uh, the section that I wanted to refer you to. Um, a, pr a production order presupposes prior judicial uh, uh, authorization. And that's been our, our high watermark position all along that there should be pre uh, that there should be judicial authorization given the privacy nature interest in this information. We uh, you know uh, the analysis that I urge on this court is that uh, the NMAX was not permitted uh, to disclose this information unless you purposefully misread the meaning of the regulation. Uh, now, if they're not prohibited from law by disclosing it, again, I interpret that to mean documents, data, or information that, that exist, and, and, and again, it is very much our position that exists in the ordinary course of business, for example, are created. Because keep in mind, the facts of this case are, the police said, we request that you gather this information for us. It was not, it didn't exist independent. It wasn't until 
the state intervened in that relationship. Uh, it's it's not compelled, but it's the 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 request is made, and then because keep in mind, electricity is flowing. It's I, I, I don't understand exactly how electricity works, but uh, this is the creation of uh, a record of of, a, of data that doesn't exist, and it's based on a complicated algorithm that uh, Detective Morrison can look at this minute set of uh, calculations and determine a grow-up. A different kind of analysis can determine different things about it. Uh, so uh, that is why we say, well, only if you accept an in incorrect definition of what customer information is, does it then fit inside of uh, 487.014 sub 1. But if this isn't customer information, there's nothing in the regulation that prevents its disclosure, is there? Well, uh, Section 13 of the regulation um, it would be my answer in that it, that is uh, con consistent with DRA uh, information, uh, which is to say that Would you tell us where we can find uh, Section 13? Yes. Um, my best uh, my best place to, to direct you to it would be in our factum Sorry, um, it's in the uh, in Justice O'Brien's reasons. My colleague has just shown me on page yes. thirty-six, and it's reproduced in the respondents' condensed book at tab eight. I apologize. You, uh, I've been thinking important thoughts and forgot where my tabs were. Uh, finally, in the the two minutes and four seconds that remain. Uh, my, uh, my friend, Ms. Boucher, addressed you on the issue of Waterfield. Um, in my respectful submission, uh, Waterfield uh, is uh, designed to deal with uh, the exigent circumstance, uh, the bag that can be readily moved, the gun in the car in Clayton and Farmer, where the 911 tip or more of more concern the 911 hang-up call. This is, a, uh, this is a case of plants growing quietly in the dark recesses of uh, a basement somewhere. Uh, the likelihood of the movability, the destruction of the evidence doesn't create anything exigent uh, about these investigations. The, the fact that uh, it, uh, the DRA is in place for five days and there is no evidence that uh, that that uh, there's any ongoing surveillance in my respectful submission takes this out of the Waterfield analysis. Uh, the uh, exigent, uh, because well, it, it's acknowledged that DRA is a tool. Um, what the tool does is what uh, attracts uh, charter scrutiny. This is, as uh, the Crown has conceded, 
uh, a form of electronic surveillance. In my respectful submission, electronic surveillance can rarely uh, justify a resort to exigent circumstances. And ultimately, uh, the question becomes, as the Court addressed in Buhay, uh, would we have had to consider this case differently if the police had taken, or if the security guards had taken the marijuana out of the locker and put it in their own cupboard and held on to it for the police? And that's the nature of the agency relationship that we argue uh, NMAX has with the police in the sense that they're doing things at the behest of the police. They're creating the evidence uh, in a usable form for the police. And that's really what informs the Section 8 analysis uh, in, in its totality with respect to um, the question of the agency relationship. I see I'm out of time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Rose. Good afternoon. On behalf of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, I asked the question initially, what are the implications if the police can obtain this type of evidence or this type of data without prior judicial authorization? And I say that because our position is not that the police should not be able to obtain this, this information, this investigative data, but simply that they should require, it should be required prior judicial authorization. That's all I'm here to ask the court to impose. And I'll start out by asking another question, which is, if the appellant is correct that this type of data can simply provide information about whether or not there is a grow-up or whether or not there is a marijuana operation within a residence, then Frankly, I'll ask another question. Why is it that here in Ontario we have implementation of smart metering this year such that the Ontario government will, has said, and I'll take you to the materials, every utility subscriber in Ontario will have a smart meter installed by the end of this year? You're, you take as a threshold that um, a warrant should be uh, requested before using that technique. But if this is an ongoing investigation, and uh, assuming that there are not enough grounds for searching the house, um, do you put a threshold that is lower for this technique than the one you would use for the search of the house itself? Uh, in my submission, no, and I'll explain why, but the standard for search warrant is reasonable grounds to believe. And I'm not suggesting that you water down that standard at all in the circumstance, because as in my submissions, I hope I take you to um, uh, the facts, DRA or smart meters uh, provide very, very specific information about lifestyle. And just responding to a previous question in submissions today, I'm not going to suggest that DRA or smart meter data can provide information about um, necessarily uh, such things as religion, about gender necessarily. What DRA data can show on the materials is, for instance, when one sleeps, when one does the laundry, 
perhaps when one turns on the TV. That leads the suggestion, France, when you're putting on, turning on the TV, you might like a particular type of TV show. If a particular TV show is very popular, 60 minutes, 7 o'clock on Sunday night. Perhaps if you consistently turn your TV on Sunday night at 7 o'clock, that might yield a certain inference. But the, um, Justice Martin, when he's describing what the role of DRA technology is, that it doesn't indicate the source of consumption, it just provides information as to the amount that's being used. Does that, does that change your argument? Um, in my submission, uh, the Court below didn't have available some of the materials that I put before this Court. So, for instance, uh, the more recent Ontario Privacy Commissioner's report, which uh, I put in my brief authorities, it's replicated in the condensed book of authorities at tab 2. So, for instance, the Ontario Privacy Commissioner notes that, um, and this is the third paragraph into that page, page 8, Smart meter is a meter that can record and report electricity consumption information automatically, and that's an important feature. Smart meters identify consumption in greater detail than a conventional meter and communicate that information back to the utility company for monitoring and billing purposes. Smart meters will range in terms of interaction with utilities and the distribution component of the grid and relaying information on a daily, hourly, and real-time basis, and so forth. And she goes on to comment that smart meters are being implemented at this point in time. So, Can the customer waive that protection? Well, uh, this r comes back to the question um, that has been, was canvassed uh, with my friend just prior in terms of the regulations. And uh, I suppose that given that there is this heightened sense from DRA data about lifestyle, you've seen in the materials, it might even be able to tell what type of shoes you're washing, Given that, it's my respectful submission that in imposing a consent um, sort of requirement on the subscriber, it's my submission that the court should be very careful to calibrate the consent that is given to what they're actually giving up. So, for instance, there's tremendous discussion previously about the regulations and whether or not Mr. Gombach, by virtue of automatic provision in the regulations, gave up his privacy right to that which was monitored by the DRA. And my addition to that, minimal as it is, is simply to say that Mr. Gombach, on the facts here, would not have known that there was a DRA put onto his, his, uh, his subscriber, his utility. So in other words, if we look at what the, uh, the Privacy Commissioner, I think, reasonably says about what DRAs can show, and what we see on the facts of this case, it's electricity cons consumption on what they call a granular level. Can it be said that Mr. Gombach understood, for all purposes, when he moved into his house and subscribed to the NMAX utility, that he was going to be giving up DRA data about his privacy right if, within the home? If we yeah, pursue the, this line. I, I was just going to say that the, the provision says that uh, he can specifically give a request to the, uh, to the utility not to disclose. So if he's not sure about what uh, may or may not be disclosed, he, he has an option, which apparently he didn't uh, exercise in this case. And just to respond to your, uh, your question, Justice Rothstein, again, Mr. Gombach could not have known at the time that he would be consenting to giving something which never existed. So can you interpret this regulation to say it provides for presumption, presumptive consent 
to DRA data, when Mr. Gombach subscribes to his electric, electrical utilities, DRA didn't even exist. This regulation is framed in 2004. The DRA is put on as a result of this investigation a year later. If we follow this, this, uh, this line of thinking that when a customer, and quite often doesn't have a choice but to sign the contract and and what the customer would un- understand and what reasonable expectations that customer would have. In this case here, could it be said that the customer uh, would not know that the utility company could look at how much he consumes and when, and um, would that not be part of, it's part of the relationship. It's not like you're not giving your consent that somehow this third party you're having a contract with would agree to do a, B, C, D for the police that is not part of the business relationship. But when it is part of the business relationship, wouldn't that not be something the customer would know? Well, it's my respectful submission, Justice Sharon, that in that circumstance, again, Mr. Gombach can reasonably understand, if he happens to read the court's decision in plant, that net monthly billing records may be provided. And I think that for purposes of law, we can probably assume prior to the implementation, prior to the advent of this technology, one could assume net monthly billing records are provided to the police. However, DRA data, and it's not even clear that it was in the mind of the legislature or anyone in 2003 when this regulation was passed. In other words, uh, pardon me, but uh, I have doubt again that ammeters are really new devices. They go pretty far in the, in the, in the uh, pretty far back in the, in the electricity trade. Well, it, it's my submission on reviewing this. For instance, I put before the court, and I, in my minimal time, I won't take you to the article in the MIT Technology Review. They refer to experiments going on in 2001 at MIT. In other words, an MIT professor is now looking at this and saying, well, developing an algorithm. This is an, an unfailing technology, and I see that uh, uh, is some of the response from the bench, but this is an evolving technology. And in my remaining time, I want to leave the court with this thought. If there is no prior judicial authorization requirement on this type, first of all, then this court leaves it to each municipality, each utility company, each province to determine what information will be disclosed. So there will be no uniform standards in terms of privacy over this, which I say discloses lifestyle. Secondly, as we know from uh, all the materials that are put before you, I put before this court. Uh, this data is streamed wirelessly to the utility company, which, as a civilian technology, it's extremely laudable. It's the smart grid. It's how this society becomes more energy efficient. The problem with that, from a police, from a law enforcement purpose, for criminal justice is, if there is no warrant requirement, that allows the police to wirelessly receive, without prior judicial authorization, all of this data, without the knowledge of the subscribers, to filter through this mountain of data, and it's my submission this yield will yield, is yielding now a mountain of data, to filter through. Can we find it the other way in this sense, that uh, more and more there are issues like that. Our privacy is given up when we apply for a credit card, when we, <laughs> we sign on for a trip and so on. Um, it seems to me the regulations here were addressing this issue of privacy. That you know, I, I'll, I'm a utility company. I'll know a lot of things about you. I'm giving you the opportunity here to tick the box if you don't want me to share that information. Isn't that a, a good thing? Subject to the constitutionality of that approach. Uh, 
Shouldn't it, we give um, support that kind of? <laughs> it is good. And had before I read the Ontario Privacy Commissioner's report yielding a very, very loud and very, very clear concern about the significant privacy implications of this, I would have agreed with that proposition, Justice Sharon. However, it's clear that it is not just the Ontario Civil, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, which is concerned about the significant privacy considerations here. It's the Ontario Privacy Commissioner, as well as any number of academics. And I see that my light is on, and when lights are on, I know what that means. Thank you. The, um, the first point I want to make is to address and clarify what the Crown's position is with respect to the legislation. In the courts below, the Crown did in fact argue that the legislation was another alternative for authorizing what the police did here. We did not make that argument before this court. I think Justice Binney's comment hits the nail on the head with respect to it. It's, I think it's improper to characterize it as a search provision because it doesn't empower the police to do something. There's also a division of powers issue potentially. But, but the point is we're not making that argument that it authorizes the police to do this. Our point is simply that it informs the expectation of privacy. And this customer had the ability to um, restrict disclosure of his information by, by simply asking for that even in relation to the police and didn't do so and that that therefore ought to inform the expectation of privacy analysis with respect to Mr. Gomba. That's our point with respect to the legislation. Um, I think it's nonsensical frankly to suggest that this isn't customer information. I don't know what else it would be talking about if it's not talking about this. Um, Can I just ask you on, on the, the first point, the, the previous council spoke of ticking the box. Uh, in, in the documentation, is the possibility of a refusal of consent notified to the customer? Or is this something the customer would have to dig through the regulations and so on to find? Well, I'm, Do we, know? we don't have it in the record in this case. We don't. So I can testify with my robes on if you wish. It is a fact that companies put out their privacy policies, you know, in their brochures, on their websites, and of course, this is this is a, a legislated contract that arises from a regulatory tribunal that holds hearings with respect to what terms are going to be imposed in a contract. So, I mean, there is, in, in a sense, some public notification of it, um, but there's no evidence in the case that he specifically knew about this. Now, <laughs> I want to respond to the argument that. No problem, the police can just get judicial authorization for this. The police, at the point in time when they're seeking this kind of information, are in a box. They have grounds, not enough grounds, to get a search warrant. The threshold for getting a warrant for this kind of information, which would actually be a general warrant to have this device installed and then so on and so forth, is exactly the same. So if the police had the grounds, why would they, why would they bother? Other than if they were being sort of extra-incremental, in terms of their approach. Um, you know, they're in a box at the point when they're asking for this information. They're trying to get grounds to get a warrant. And so, uh, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's important not to lose sight of that point. Now, the, the other submission that I want to make with respect to this is that <laughs> the, 
it comes back to what I'm suggesting here about the, 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 the aspect of divulging. The, uh, Mr. Rose made the submission. He could not have consented to something he did not know about. Well, with, with the greatest of respect, excuse me, <laughs> I left something at the table that I needed, both in terms of his subjective expectation of privacy and whether that subjective expectation of privacy was objectively reasonable, one has to ask these two questions, which, of course, the opportunity was never given because Mr. Gombach didn't testify, which, which I concede is not fatal to his case. But the point is this. Here are the two questions. What did he expect would happen when NMAX discovered that he was cheating the meter? And secondly, um, if he wanted privacy with respect to his customer information, then why not simply pay for it and ask for that privacy that he's given under the, reg under the regulations? I submit those are two key questions here in terms of deciding whether there's a reasonable expectation of privacy. You mean pay for it? Pardon me? What, what do you mean pay for it? Well, the, the power that we're talking about here that was measured as a result of the DRA is predominantly the, stolen not pay power. For the, not pay for the privacy, pay for the power. Pay for the power, oh. right. If he had done those two things, if he had simply, you know, run the extra cost of paying for that power and asked them not to disclose his information to the police, then he would be in a different position in terms of his claim of reasonable expectation of privacy. But, but, how, but what, what could one ex reasonably expect in a situation where the, the power company discovers meter cheating? Now, to come back to that, it may be a problem with the record in this case that, this, that the evidence was not clear and specific about the fact that this is just the police going to a potential crime victim and saying, can you check and see if you're actually a crime victim. And, that, and the error here may be simply that, you know, the police in their relationship with NMAX took the bull by the horns and sort of organized something because this was a recurring theme. That may be the problem here. And, and so maybe the solution is simply that, you know, the police, when they have these cases, should simply write NMAX a letter saying, you know, we're investigating a house, we suspect it's a marijuana grow, as you know. Almost always this involves meter cheating, so please, um, you know, okay. take care of your own interest, and if you learn any interesting information that may assist in our investigation, we would appreciate receiving it. I'm not sure it's really helpful here. You don't have a word about that in the ITO, as, as the respondent pointed out, and I don't know that it's really clarifying to say there's always this possibility. That isn't really what we're addressing, is it? I submit that it is. I submit that that's what's at bottom in terms of what was really happening here. It may be that the record didn't reflect that, but, but with respect, there is nothing in the record that, that supports any other inference in terms of why the power company was assisting. There's no, you know, it's not a situation where, I mean, the police had no power to compel this. They simply asked for their assistance, and they provided that assistance. And so why would they do so? Because <laughs> if they it were wasn't allowed their to interest. under the regulation. Pardon me? Because they were allowed to under the regulation. Just, I'm just not sure it's really helpful to get into an area of complexity that isn't before us on the record or in argument or in any other way. Well, with, with respect, it, it, may be a, it may be a failure in terms of the record, but in my submission, that aspect of, of, of whether or not they were in fact an agent of the state or, or simply a private party looking out for their own interest who turned information over to the police, uh, does actually arise from inference on these circumstances. But I leave it with you, and I won't uh, belabor it further. Um, 
Finally, um, I want to address this point. I, I, I acknowledge from the questions, at least, that some members of the court have at least a concern about the fact that maybe the specificity of the information, because it's so, it's such a bingo in terms of identifying a marijuana grow, may be the, may be the problem here, that this is, uh, this is a case akin to dog sniffs in terms of expectation of privacy and because the specificity is a problem. Now, I, I, of course, am arguing that you should look at the whole picture and that when you go through all the factors, you should come to the conclusion that this isn't, there is no reasonable expectation of privacy. But if that's the rub, then I would submit that the court should not throw out the baby with the bath, so to speak, because the court said in plant that there's nothing wrong with the police finding out about sort of aggregate power consumption. And I would also submit that there's nothing wrong with the police being told by the utility company, yes, in fact, we've gone out and we've, we've measured this power by an alternate means, and power's being stolen, and it's being used, you know, at a rate considerably higher than neighbors. You know, there should be nothing wrong with that, because this court said that was okay in plant. Maybe the police have shot a little too far here, because, you know, they, they, they found out from, from talking to the power company that, we can actually produce this little graph that might give you information that will be um, even more reassuring to a court that this is a case for a search warrant. But if, if that's the rub of the problem, then I, I'd ask the court um, to consider not, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, hamstringing the police to the extent that they can't still get that more basic information. Um, because, you know, the power company, of course, has options in terms of how they convey it, right? I mean, they're gathering the information. The question can be asked and the answer given in a way that perhaps is, is less informative, but nevertheless prove highly reliable in many, many past cases to support reasonable grounds to get a search warrant. Unless there are other questions, that's all that I have by way of reply. The court will reserve its decision in this case. Court stands adjourned.